The Full 60 is brought to you by GameTime, your go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NHL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Did you also know that GameTime has non-sports events? Now, this is where, for someone who works in sports, I'm just going to give you a little hint. I don't often like to spend my free time than going to sporting events. I do sometimes because I'm psychotic in that way and my kids like sports. But I like to go to concerts if I can. Like That's really fun for me. So I went to game time. And because I was raised on a... This is a really long read for an ad, but it's just a story. I was raised on a U.S.-Canada border city, Detroit. So we got a lot of Canadian music that came through. My favorite radio station growing up was 89X out of Windsor. So I was raised like a fan of the Tragically Hip, Sloan, Blue Rodeo. So I go to game time, and what do I find? Tickets to Sloan at St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit for $37 each so I can relive my childhood and listen to some great Canadian alternative rock from the 90s. Does it get any better than that? That's really great. So game time. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is Dr. Amy Kimball, who is the Director of Player and Team Development for the New Jersey Devils, and who has an absolutely fascinating background. She has a PhD specializing in sports psychology, does a lot of mental training consulting for sports organizations, for individual athletes, for corporations, and one of the things that she focuses on is is really developing a culture for success, and both on an individual level and team level and corporate level. And I just I love that stuff because because it's you can't quantify it. It's um, one of those things you really only know if you have it or don't have it. And one of the things she's charged with doing is implementing it. And so I wanted to have her on here to talk about a lot of that. I also wanted to have her on here to talk about the draft interview process because that's another area she specializes in, has done it both with the Devils, the Penguins, I believe the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I remember her being quoted in a story that Katie Strang did back in June about some of the questions that she asks um, draft prospects in the strategy that, that goes into identifying whether or not a player has the mental makeup that you want to join the organization. I mean, the, the draft is huge for these teams, and it goes well beyond uh, scouts going to bird-dogging games in you know Western Canada or whatever. Like There is a ton of research and work that goes into identifying these players, and the mental side is a big part of it. And she is the best at what she does in that capacity. So I'm excited we were able to spend some time chatting. We met in the hotel lobby that I was staying at in Pittsburgh. Um, so you might pick up a little background music. This was not me trying to add any like soothing, cool, super modern music to the background of this interview. This was us trying to find a quiet place to have a conversation. Um, and it was a, it was a fun chat and we covered a lot of ground. So let's jump right into it. The Full 60 with Dr. Amy Kimball. 
Well, thanks a lot for doing this, Amy. This is awesome. I'm really excited. And so I love these conversations because I like to talk about all this stuff anyways. And so it's there. You don't always find people in hockey that do what you do. Like how common is your position or somebody that's kind of addressing the mental side of the game to have like a job in a front office? Yeah, it's, it's becoming more common, not really like front office position. Usually we're in the background a little bit Mm -hmm. more and I still think that I am. Um, but there aren't a lot of teams that have somebody nearly full time. So a lot do more as a consulting in and out. Do you, um, so to me, I tend to hear it more from the individual athletes. So you talk to a goalie and he'll say, yeah, I'm I'm working with a sports psychologist or somebody, you know, I'm training. And so there seems to be a lot of kind of, I don't want to say rogue because, you know, I'm sure they're good at at what they do, but do you find like, okay, you've, you've got to like balance that or not, or compete with that or how, you know, how do you do that when a player kind of has their own? I don't mind it because a lot of times if they already have someone that they trust and believe in, as long as it's someone legitimate, I'm okay with it. And I take no offense. Some don't want somebody who's employed by their team and I'm okay with that. But I also think there's a lot of benefit because I know the organization, I know the coaches, I know kind of the setting that they're in. So I think it benefits them more. But if athletes have somebody either pre-existing or they just want someone else, it's fine. As long as it's, it's somebody legit and who isn't going to mess them up <laughs> right right is there a lot of illegitimate people in this in that business in that line i don't know it? if i'd say illegitimate but there are <laughs> definitely people that think that it's cool to work with athletes and maybe right. don't have the training or the background there's like my phd is in sports psychology right. i spent an extra five years studying this working on this looking at the research and i think that's really important as yeah. opposed to people that either played before and think they can do this. Um, It's not that it's rocket science, but there is a science to it and there's an art to it as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so in general, cause I know, I mean, I I know you can't give away state secrets with the devils, but in general, like what, what is the day to day operate? Like how much um, influence are you having with players or the staff on a day to day basis? Uh, well, it really varies mm-hmm. just because they travel a whole lot. Yeah. So I work with both New Jersey and Binghamton. Okay. And so when I'll, I'll go to Binghamton, I'll usually do a team talk for them. So the coach will give me a topic. I'll come in, maybe talk to them for 20 minutes, watch their practice and then yeah. meet with individuals. Um, when I'm in New Jersey, it's mostly just individuals. And I'm always available by phone, by Skype, whatever they need, either yeah. for the players, staff. So is it is it a, like other times where players are like, I'm just having a rough, like I'm slumping. I need somebody to talk to to kind of get the mental side straight. Or is it, is it you know, is it more like John Hines or Ray Shiro saying, <laughs> hey, you need to talk to No, we, we don't force it on most players. Okay. Um, and what we try to do is take a more positive perspective of really developing those relationships. So they see it as just something that they do, not something they need when they're having issues. Right. Because we want it to be more preventative. Okay. And so I try to check in guys at least every 20 games, if not before that. Okay. Um, and so it's not everybody, but there's certain people that we really try to stay on top of guys under contracts guys that are Mm -hmm. rookies just to develop that relationship so if there ever are issues they know that I'm a resource that they can come in and trust but really trying to what I try to do is get them to identify when they're playing well what their mindset is and how we can recreate that as opposed to what are we trying to avoid right are there common themes when things are going well what the mindset is or is 
I imagine so much of it is individual, right? right. And it would be hard to like tie it all together. But I also think, you know, when you hear people are in the zone or whatever that looks like mentally, there is some common commonality there. Yeah. When, when people are in the zone where they really just, they're out there competing, playing, and they might not remember what they did, but they right. knew it was good. It was more of a feeling. And often it's because they get out of their own heads. They're yeah. not overthinking things. I find a big part of it is they're not judging themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not worried about how they're playing. They get lost in the competition and they just do what it takes to play well and win the game. Right. So how do you get to that point when you, when you fall out of it? You know, when you, when you are like overanalyzing as a player, that would be me. I would be, I would overanalyze everything. Yeah. Well, and it, a lot does depend on the individual and it depends on the sport. So individual sports are different than team sports at times, but right. most of the time when you're overthinking things. It's how to figure out what's clutter and what's necessary. Mm -hmm. So if you're focusing on situational factors, so not losing ice time, um, worrying about a contract you might have or getting sent down, those kind of issues are situational that you usually don't have control over. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just have athletes write down things that they control and that they don't control. Mm -hmm. If you don't control it, that's clutter. Put it off to the right. side. If it's something you can control, what are you going to do about it? What are the key focus points of these areas? So, so the contract one is an interesting one because you see, you tend to see it go one of two ways. People, it focuses on. Let's say the contract is up after the season. Mm-hmm. The, you see a contract year. You know, it's a phrase. Or I've just seen it mess with guys where, like, they just—it's not till they sign where they finally get comfortable. Yeah. Like, what's the strategy for? I mean, if you're telling them, hey, that's just clutter it to the side yeah it's i'm more of a realist so (laughs) we talk a lot about glass half full glass half half empty i'm oh there's water in the glass like it is what it is it's your contract (laughs) year yeah you can't change it yeah and but getting them to talk about how it influences them so when you're talking about okay what what are you really afraid of Mm -hmm. and get it once i think they put a a name to it and actually like vocalize it it's a less scary thing for them right and recognize okay well if you want a big contract you want to resign what is it you need to do i yeah. need to play well okay well what helps you to play well you know i make smart passes i mm. get it out of the zone, whatever whatever it is that is their game and then you get them to focus on that so rather than focusing on the contract right which yes your ideal is i want to sign a contract yeah i need to play well but what do you actually control? It's right. how you play. So get them to focus on that. Accept what they're working towards. Right. But their focus is smaller, controllable. Right. That's great. So like I've, I've read somewhere, someone's strategy was like, go ahead and play out the worst case scenario. And you realize it's probably not even, you know, yeah. okay, I don't get a contract, but I'm going to go to another team, you know, or yeah. whatever it looks like. Right. Like it's not, you know, you... You can play that out mentally and it's probably not going to be that bad. Yeah. And so usually it stays as this nebulous thing where, oh, what if I don't resign? But you're right. It's what's the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> right. Right. And if you can manage that, like yeah. sometimes it's just the unknown. Like that's what mess, like the unknown messes with me. I'd rather just deal with the bad stuff. Yeah. If and it, that's you know. what the, the unknown, the uncontrollable, the unpredictable mm-hmm. that generally anybody in life, that's what stresses them out. Right. So have you, so I, I, what's interesting to me about you is, is, I mean, it seems like your job has a, a lot of layers to it. One is kind of identifying somebody's mental toughness, like if you're looking at a draft pick or whatever, and then the other thing would be developing it. So I want to talk about, before we get to identifying it, just developing it, like how much improvement can someone have if they're just, they arrive to the team and they're a head case or whatever? Like how much 
improvement can you really truly have in that well, area? Well, I think a lot, but I think sometimes you have to undo bad habits. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're somebody who is wired to worry, you're a naturally anxious person, it's hard to undo that. But a lot of times they haven't been given the skills to actually manage it and control it and put some of the worries to the side. Right. So because people just say, oh, calm down. It's not, not, not that big of a deal. But to <laughs> right. them it is because that's how their brain works. Right. So it's more giving them the skills, being able to teach them, okay, here's how you manage anxiety. Here's how you manage overthinking. And then once they have those skills, it's a lot better. It's a kid comes to you skinny and needs to lift. Right. He has to work at it. Right. It's not natural. That's not necessarily how his body was built, but it's something you can develop. And so it's the same thing with a mental training. You have to train your mind just like anything else. Yeah. How much, so it's funny because I'll see, you'll see coaches like we'll use John Tortorella, for example, like part of, I think his philosophy with the way they practice or they train is we're going to develop mental toughness by putting you through a lot. And then if you can achieve that, then you kind of realize you can do more than you think is, is there a physical aspect to it as well? Yeah. I, I think just for anybody, you see when people run marathons in under two hours, right. Right. It, that's a, that's a mentally and physically challenging task. Yeah. But once you do it, it becomes easier to recognize nothing else is that bad. Like right. I can handle a lot more than I thought I was capable of. And so, yeah, I think the more you challenge people, the more mm-hmm. you push them, that that does really help. On the flip side, though, sometimes if you're in a situation that's overly comfortable, yeah, that requires a lot of mental toughness as well. Because if it's a team you know you should beat easily, right. you're not as motivated, you're not as dialed in. And so your, your focus, your mindset isn't going to allow you to perform your best in that situation too. Right. So mental toughness isn't always about how physically challenging the competition is or your training is. Yeah. Sometimes it's just different types of challenges that you're going to be facing. That's right. So like how often do we see a, a good team just lay an egg against a, a bad team because right. they don't show up, right? Yeah. And I used to work with a lot of tennis players, mm-hmm. wrestlers too, and they often perform better against better opponents because they know they have to bring their best. Right. Whereas lesser opponents, they tended to overlook. And then if they would win the first game, then it would be, uh oh, what if I lose to this person? Right. And then they start to panic a little bit because it's not something that they're used to. Right. Okay. So, so when you're in a draft room, so you've worked, I, I saw you worked with the Steelers as well and that and kind of identifying draft picks. What are you looking for in a person to say, okay, this, I, I feel like this person has some resiliency. Yeah. So a lot of it depends on the team and what they want in their players. Okay. But generally with athletes at any level, you're looking for someone who first is competitive. Right. I, I personally don't believe competitiveness is something you can develop. And so we always That's have this debate when we're looking at draft picks always, oh, only an 18-year-old kid. Yeah, but if he's not competing in his draft year, is that, <laughs> right. like, what, what is how that much more? Come? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so for me, I don't, I don't think competitiveness is something you can turn on or off. Okay. Like, you're, you're willing to, like, beat your five-year-old in ping pong just as much as anybody else. Right. Um, so we really or anytime I'm looking for pro athletes, it's um, competitiveness, it's resilience, mm-hmm. it's grittiness, it's the ability to do whatever it takes. And then the ability to recognize like what your sh- mental strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and 
be able to be vulnerable sometimes and yeah. not think you're totally amazing, but also have confidence. So know that you can get better. So I guess it's like a growth mindset. Right. That's threading a needle, needle a little bit, right? Like you want someone to be confident. Yeah. That's. So what kind of questions do you ask to, to discover some of these, these um, things? A lot of times it'll be based on, so our scouts do a really good job of going out and looking at players and right. seeing specific examples. So sometimes we'll have examples where in this tournament they weren't very good, but when maybe they're just playing with their junior team, they're amazing. Right. So bringing that up of saying, oh, it, at this tournament, you yeah. weren't your best. What was going on there? <laughs> right. And so sometimes it was, they'll admit, yeah, I was really nervous. I tried too hard, whatever the situation was, or sometimes it was just a bad tournament. Mm -hmm. But how do they handle that when you point out to them that this wasn't your best game? Yeah. Or that there is a difference between when they're playing with teammates versus maybe playing with a group of the best players in right. the world. Right, right. Um, I think it's interesting for you to say that you can't teach competitiveness. Cause I agree. Like, cause I've got three kids and I can see it. Like my oldest son doesn't yeah. have an off switch and right. it's problematic at times. <laughs> like yeah. we'll play, you know, be like, Hey, you know, you don't need to spike the ball on the five-year-old. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's it, not every kid has that. So, so when you're in that setting and you're like asking about a tournament or whatever, you're like, I imagine you're trying to draw that out. You want to see that spark or whatever in a interview setting. Like, what do you see from an athlete that, that indicates, okay, they've got that? I, when they get pissed off. If they right, have a bad right. shift, somebody scores at them. Like, yeah. Some people say, oh, he doesn't control his emotions. But I see it and say, okay, well, he cares. Yeah. Like if you come back and you're just like, no big deal after someone scores on you, that's not competitiveness. Like there's a sense of pride involved with that. So you can see it physically with a lot of players as well. Right. But you can talk to the, your, their teammates too. Yeah. So when you talk to teammates, when you talk to coaches and you ask like, who would you want to bring with you? Mm -hmm. And it's the same name over and over again. Right. That That's a big deal. Uh, to me, the biggest challenge, especially with the young players is, is that balance of you you know, you also can't teach talent, right? So you sit there and you watch, oh, that guy's got a shot or can skate like nobody else, but yeah. doesn't seem to care. Yeah. I Like, I I would be curious, and I, I think it's hard because I, I know you don't, can't give away, like, philosophies or whatever, but, like, how do you, as an organization, balance that? Like, we want people who care, but we also need to identify players who are good at what they do. Yeah, you know? well, we, we have actually really good debates about that. Okay. Um, so when I came in four years ago, we actually sat down with all of our scouts and we talked to them about what are some of the intangible characteristics of players who've been successful. Okay. What is it that they have? The guys who make it right away, that are sort of the veterans, the journeymen, they, they just stick for whatever reason. Yeah. And so looking at both the characteristics of top line guys, of bottom line guys, of mm -hmm. guys that are around, what are the similarities? What are So getting our scouts to recognize that these things do matter. And you right. can be as talented as you wanna be, but if you don't have some of these other skills, you won't reach your full potential. Right. And so with scouts, they do look at skill-wise, what's his potential? Where could he make it in the NHL? Right. Like, right. where do we project yeah, him where do being? We, yeah, where will he slot in the lineup? And then it becomes what intangibles would help him get there, mm -hmm. but what might set him back? So the same thing is you might have a guy that maybe talent-wise isn't as strong as some other guys, but he has all these other intangible factors that you'd be more likely to bet on him than someone with slightly better talent, Yeah. but without the right attitude and effort level. So what are some of those characteristics you guys were able to identify? 
Well, the resilience is one. Yeah, Being able to yeah. handle the stress, the up, the ups and downs. Um, because when you look at a lot of these guys, they're the best on their teams. Mm-hmm. So they haven't had to really be challenged. <laughs> right, right. How much resiliency are you? Yeah. You so who can goals? really yeah. who can really handle that when their role is different and it's not as easy as it used to be? Yeah. Um, we look for guys that love it. They're passionate about the sport. Mm-hmm. Like they want to play hockey. They right. Just, they don't know who they are kind of without it because yeah. I think if you're passionate about it, that's going to drive you a lot. And then it like to work. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the rink rats that yeah. are there early, that stay late, that want to get better. Um, how does that mesh? Do you ever have those conversations with like the analytics folks? Because I feel like they're, they're sitting there going, Oh, I don't want, you know, I can feel them rolling their eyes about intangibles. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I can't put a number on this one. Right. So like, yeah. like I'm sure that the hockey scouts love that stuff. Like that's what they're, they've been looking for that for years. Yeah. And, and I think this, there's a, I, and I, I'm sure you could probably measure it somehow. And maybe that's, I'll have well, that's somebody else to have that discussion, but like, yeah. I don't know. You know, I'd be interested in those conversations. Yeah, we're just really getting started on growing our analytics department. But it is something I talk about because, in theory, these players should be doing these things. Right. But then there is that mental component to it. So how much does that factor in? And even if you're looking at draft lists, like talent wise, this guy should have been up here Right. on every, you know, media person's list. He's a top 10. But how did he fall to number 30? Right. Well, it's not a good teammate. Right, right. So that, and, but yeah, analytics don't always factor in personal opinions. Right, right. And I guess that's why everything's just part of the equation. Like yeah. that's, you know, people, it's never an either or proposition, right? Like you want everybody at the table having that discussion. Yeah. And that's what I think analytics is extremely valuable because it gives you so much knowledge and a different way of looking at things. Yeah. But then you take that and then you put on the, the mental component, then you put on the whole team like how does this human being right fit in with the team concept and what we're trying to do is he like numbers wise this is what he should do yeah but what's the reality what could, what's going to get him there and what's going to keep him from being there so it is a discussion with analytics with coaches with everybody right i had a, I was talking to somebody we were talking about like a very talented player who hasn't quite figured it out and who has become a bit of a debate in the analytics versus versus kind of the traditional scouts. And they were saying like, look, this is the best example. Like this guy got scratched during a game or after warmups because he just decided not to engage in warmups. He was like, just standing on the bench. This is in the, in the HL. And so they just scratched. And like that's like, that captured everything. Like he just didn't want to like be with his teammates doing, you know, the the routine. He was was just messing around by the bench the whole time. They decided this. And I'm like, but you know, that, that indicated to us, you know, we, we were scouting that game. He, you know, he was somebody we looked at and we're like, okay, we're out on this guy. You know, yeah. like and that stuff doesn't always show up. I but guess. that also takes, that's part of the culture of that team though, is for that coach to be willing to do that. Right. Like that say, sends hey, the right kind of message of, because some coaches wouldn't. Yeah. So you, you need that. And then you always have players that don't play well for this team. And then all of a sudden he's traded somewhere else and he thrives. Yeah. So what is it about that environment if they're playing the same kind of, game right that now he's thriving what is it about that culture that worked for him that maybe just didn't work for his previous team I, I you guys have a great example of that in Taylor Hall like gets to New Jersey and is thriving and you know you heard stuff about Taylor and now it's like I can't believe we were ever debating Taylor Hall yeah as a kid yeah and as a as a player it's 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 pretty crazy but I think there's also a danger like there's I, there's been times where guys will slip because they don't interview well 
they don't like when you talk about we want the guys that are passionate and the ring rats like i i agree like mm-hmm. you you love that guy um and then i i just think sometimes i think it was cam fowler with the ducks like slipped in the draft and i think he's just a soft-spoken kid and i think people misinterpreted it as somebody who wasn't gonna maximize yeah. potential and and some like i think there's a danger in in looking at it too much right yeah well and that's what the the combine is only a piece of the equation right and we don't hold it against people if they're introverted, soft-spoken, shy, nervous. Like yeah. we recognize these are 18-year-old people. Right. That right. this is a hard situation to have six, eight people in a room staring at them that determine their future. Yeah. So we get that. Yeah. Um, and not everybody is this boisterous, outgoing. You also can't be fooled by the person who's really extroverted and <laughs> right. overly confident too. I always get too. fooled by that person. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I love talking to them, <laughs> right, and it right. might not be as boring of an interview, but yeah. you know that, and that's part of what I try to do is get through the exterior and really try to understand who this person is. Right. Right. Do you have a go-to question that you're like, okay, this is, I'm going to ask every kid this or, or? Um, the one I like to ask, but a lot of people in our room actually hate when I ask, it, but <laughs> okay. it's my favorite. Cause I made it up on the fly. The first year I was with the devils. I like to ask if you had a choice between you play one year in the NHL, mm-hmm. you win the Stanley cup that year, but you can never play in the NHL anymore. Okay. Or you have a 10 year NHL career, but you never win the cup. Mm. What do you choose? Is there a right answer to this? No, I'm scared to not. answer. No. And, and that's what everyone's like, oh, it's not a fair question. And, right. But it's, it's relatively split 50-50 between what people answer. And yeah. there literally is not a right or wrong answer. But it's often the last question I ask because right. I find myself hoping the person across the table answers a certain way. Uh, right. Based on other things that they've answered previously. That's interesting. So my, I would say a 10-year to me because it's also a job and a career like you're not you know what i mean yeah but but you could go play in europe you could play in the minor leagues yeah all right i'm gonna think so you could have the career you just wouldn't have have it at the highest level yeah um any do you do you remember any good answers to that um there are guys that'll say well can i still play in europe or am I done with hockey? I'm like, right. okay, so okay, you at least know that you want to play. Right. Yeah. So to me, that's a good answer. Right. Um, the guys that like snap to an answer and know it right away. I wonder how much thought they actually put yeah, into it. Yeah, they're just plowing yeah. through the interviews. But there are guys like, you know, they're competitive and they just want the cup. They right. don't care that it's in one year. Like that's what they want. That's what's driving them. Yeah. Which tells you something about their personality. It's not good or bad. It's just, that's who they are. Yeah. You're fine. You're just trying to get information. Yeah. And that's what most of the questions I answer, there's not a right or wrong because everybody's different. It's just saying, if we choose this, this player, here's what he's going to be like. Yeah. Um, you mentioned habits. I wanted to circle back on that because I'm, um, it's, it's been kind of top of mind, something I've been working on. And I'm curious if there's habits that you recommend players do like every day yeah. to, to have success. I mentally. encourage them to keep a journal, okay. even if they can't do it every day, at least once a week of, or at the very least after each game, what went well, what do you need to get better at? Right. How did you prepare? Like what worked for your preparation? Because the more you track, whether it's what you ate, when you took your nap, if you meditated beforehand yeah. and you see when I do these things, it positively impacts my performance. Right. Then you know you're going to do more of it. Right. Or if you have a couple bad games in a row, you look back and say, oh, yeah, I've, 
you know, went to McDonald's three times this week, yeah. you realize well, that's not the best idea. <laughs> right. Or maybe you're going to bed at midnight. Yeah. Okay, maybe I should go to bed a little bit earlier. Yeah. So. That's great. Do you, do you guys, I know some teams have like apps and stuff. Do you have kind of internal ways to track all of this? Um, yeah, we're still developing some. Yeah. And we don't, we don't really have kind of a team app yet, right. but they are in the process of developing some things for that. I've got a journal. I just, am not, I keep, a lot, a lot of people say that, like it's really good just to kind of take that minute. Yeah. To and once, some of it too is once you get in the habit of doing it, mm-hmm. it's not extra work. Right. Like it seems like it's a pain at first because, oh, I have to go write my journal. Right. And people roll their eyes at it and think it's <laughs> cheesy, which, you know, at first it kind of is because yeah. you're like, what's the point of this? But then when it actually helps you in some way, yeah. then you recognize it. It's great for people that overthink too. Just get your thoughts out of your head. Right. Maybe it's just, I had a stressful day. Let me write down all the things that, or I had a really good day. Like my kid, I got home, I, I had an awful game, but my kids came home and gave me a hug and I realized like life is fine. Right. All right. So what components? It's just what I did well, what I didn't do well. Like what Yeah. Usually, recommend? I mean, I have a whole sheet that's like really detailed that like a daily sheet. Yeah. That I took, I talked to our strength and conditioning coaches. I talked to nutritionists, like what are the factors that influence them Mm -hmm. and all the things they really could track. It's a bit of overkill, but if you really were going to go full in on it, here's what you would do. But at the very least, what are two or three things I did really well? Mm -hmm. What are two or three things I need to work on in practice tomorrow? Because then nothing is ever like fatal. It's I had a bad game here's here's what I need to really work on and focus on. Right. So it's, I know I can get better. It's that growth mindset process of it. Do you recommend like some sort of like ratings? Like I, so I'm a data person, so I would like to almost put it in a spreadsheet and be like, okay, this day was a nine yeah, out of 10. Th- that's what I do. I, do you? Yeah. I like using seven. Okay. Because statistically they say seven is one of the best rating systems or 10. Okay. Um, a one out of seven? Yeah. Just that you, then you don't get like four and a half. It's, it's easier to do a four or a five yeah. than it is. I don't know why they just, so I'm not, seven, see, I'm not much of a statistics person, okay. but someone along the line told me a seven, a is seven a good, rating is yeah. the best way. Yeah. I, I was, I, I 10, I think for me, ten, I do 10 cause I think it's easier. Right. Cause I think of it as school. Like I right. get a 7%, a, 80%, yeah. 90%. I might do 10. I, I, I was talking to someone who they had to change their scouting system because it was a one to five and every, everyone was a three. Like they would just, yeah. they would turn them and be like, three, okay, really? Every, per, everyone you scouted was a three? Like yeah. we need you to, to be a little bit more definitive here. Yeah. Um, that's what I, like, I feel like every day would be a three. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> habits and even, not even just for athletes, but for people in general, yeah. like how, what, what helps you be your best? Yeah. And then are you doing that every day? And that's a lot of times that's what I talk about of why the mental side of any performance. So whether you're a surgeon, a reporter, an right. athlete, it's what do you need to do to do your best? And are you doing that? Because if you're good one day, you should be good the next. Like your right. skills don't magically change. Yeah. It often has more to do with your mindset. So if your mindset isn't consistent, then physically you're not going to be consistent. Right. Are, is, are, is morning or evening journaling, is that which is better? Now I'm, I'm going down um, this rabbit hole because I'm going to start doing it. Usually evening because yeah, then it's the end of the day. thinking the end of the day, yeah. if you do it in the morning, you think about what do I want to come out of my day? Right. And let's say you, you know, Sunday night you had a game or whatever your journal's about, then you can think about it and then first thing Monday morning and it starts your week off. So some of it's, what's your purpose for your journal? What do you want to get out of it? 
and more of it's what's the best time for you right like if right. you know at night i have three kids on my ankles Probably it's just not, not going to happen and reflect. if I get up at six, they're not quite awake yet. Yeah, so sure. that might be the good time for me to do it. Do you find players engage in that? Like, do you have guys that are good about yeah, guy, there's guys that fully buy in and then there's guys yeah. that start out with it and then don't, but right. That's great. I, I like that. So, um, so I wanted to kind of spend some time telling your story because I mean, you are, there's not a lot of women front office executives in yeah. the NHL. I don't even know if I'm a front office executive. I'm I mean, sort your of title like is pretty front office executive yeah, But I don't know. <laughs> it is. I do have a fancy title, it's but good. it's more of a title. So. Um, so, like, did you, you, you were an athlete growing up, right? Yeah, but I'm like high school athlete. I was not a high level athlete. Okay. It, was this something, like, this was something you wanted to pursue or did it Yeah, I actually a- knew my junior year in high school, I wanted... I was really passionate about sports. I did three sports. And then I was taking a psychology class, and I just thought everything about the mind was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I happened upon an article in a magazine written by a sports psychologist. And it was the first time I knew that this even existed as a field, right. that you can combine sport, my passion, with psychology, which is fascinating. And yeah. then I bought a book on it and was hooked. So literally my junior year in high school, this is what I wanted to do. What was the book? Um it was by this guy named Stephen Ungerleader. I don't even know. I don't know anything about him. Right. It was, what was it called? It was just called like Understanding Mental Toughness or right. Mental Toughness. It was some generic book. Yeah. I've tried to Google it. I don't even know it that doesn't, it comes up anymore. It? Yeah, I don't even have the book anymore. I don't know where it is. <laughs> the book that changed your yeah. life. But not sure what I it's called. I probably lent it to someone and never got it back. But. Um, where did you go to school? So, like, where, how so, did you pursue this? Um, I went to Penn State for undergrad because at the time they were one of maybe three colleges that had a sports psychologist mm-hmm. on staff for their athletes. Um, and so there was this guy, his name was Dave Eucleson. He was there forever, like yeah. over 30 years, and he just retired. Um, and so he helped me out a lot while I was there, but it was, again, knowing what I wanted to do, and there was somebody at that school that I could talk to and work through and see what he was doing that was helpful and then I went to Miami of Ohio for my master's degree um, mostly because my undergrad textbook two of the professors that contributed to the textbook were at Miami of Ohio so I said okay that's a good school this was like the internet was not a huge thing at this time so it was a little harder to do searches yeah Um, I actually taught Ben Roethlisberger in class when he was a freshman there so a little fun fact I taught a class for freshman athletes and he was there that's great um and so you've done a, a million different sports, and I'm curious, first, like, what sports did you find were more receptive to this kind of... Because, I, I, you know, I think in that era, like, it was still kind of coming into vogue or acceptance. Like, what sports do you think were more willing to say, okay, this is something we want to adopt? Um, individual athletes, like golfers, tennis yeah. players, because they recognize it's on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a, a lot of individual athletes at first... And then more teams got involved because it had more to do with team cohesion and teams that were so close to winning it all and then fell short and mm-hmm. they realized it often had to do with the mind, the mindset. So whether it was a high school team, college team, they started to recognize this was an important factor and how, yeah. how everybody interacted with each other and kind of creating that championship mindset of we can do this, we believe in ourselves as opposed to, okay, we might be good enough. Right. So I want to get into that a little bit. I think because culture is another word you hear a lot about in hockey. And 
um, you know, you see these teams that struggle to kind of break through and they finally do it. And I'm curious is if there's a way to create that winning culture without having to experience, you know, the hardship, right? Like if there's yeah. a way to create that culture of winning. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with having a bunch of competitive people that want to win. Yeah. And then a belief in the people around you. Mm-hmm. I think those two things are essential. And then once you see what it really takes to win, it's everybody has to buy into that. Right. Because it isn't easy. Like there's a lot of really talented teams mm-hmm. that didn't win it. I worked with the Penguins for 10 years and they had the same talent, but there right. was times where they didn't win it. And there's not one reason why. Sometimes it's just other teams were better. Sometimes we it was injuries, but it's really, really hard to win. Yeah. And so it takes everybody in the organization buying into that hard work, that dedication. Sometimes it takes a little bit of luck, mm-hmm. but when you're trying to build a winning organization, it's having that mindset of confidence in yourselves, the people around you. Yeah. It's the commitment to winning, the willingness to do what it takes to make that happen. Yeah. So I think like you worked with the Penguins, um, on two of the cup teams Mm -hmm. and like Sidney Crosby to me just captures all of everything you're saying, right? right? Like the lead athlete who also has that competitive, you know, and part of culture, right? Like he's creating that expectation to win. Yeah. Like, what did it look like to see that up close and then to try to replicate that with other players? I, I remember the first practice I ever watched him practice and some of the drills he was doing off on his own. And it it reminds me of the stories of Michael Jordan and LeBron mm-hmm. James of just the extra work that they put in, even when they don't have to, because right. they knew they still had to. Right. They both set the example. They put in the work. They don't want to drop at all. So it's about always being the best yeah and i think when you have a couple people that have that talent that have that work ethic even when they're tired Mm -hmm. when they already know they're really really good and they don't necessarily need to improve on a whole lot and you have other people around them watching that and watching that it's very contagious did you ever try to deconstruct it like how did a guy like that get to this point to have that mindset I think everybody gets there different ways. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times it is parents. Like you right. talked about your kids. My kids are all competitive and they <laughs> right. will be. And I completely blame <laughs> myself for that. But I'll never apologize because I know like they're not going to learn it from anyone else. Right. So yeah, we compete just who can get their pajamas on first. <laughs> and it's, they get it. Um, it's the emotional control part of losing that we're working on. Yeah, but, yeah. I find that hard with the, with kids. Yeah, so I think a lot of times is at a young age someone's teaching them the value of competitiveness. It's not you get a participation trophy for everything. I coach youth soccer, and it's a league where they get participation trophies, and I tell my team and the parents on the first day, I don't believe in participation trophies. I think they're creating a population where just do your best, and you're going to be fine in life, and that's not reality. But I say, I'm going to give them an improvement trophy. So every practice, we have a goal. There's something they're going to work on. At the end of practices, they tell me what they were proud about, what they felt they got better at. Mm -hmm. And then the last game of the year, I make them say, how did you improve this season? Did you get better and did you work hard? Yeah. And then I'm giving them their shiny plastic that they can at least feel they earned in some way. Right. I I like that, an improvement trophy. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to have to incorporate that. All right, so to kind of back back on kind of your your path so you're at Miami how did you break into the the world um 
Yeah, so I worked in their athletic department mm -hmm. basically as an academic advisor, life skills coordinator, so I'd help them with stress management programming, different things like that. And then I went to the University of Tennessee for my PhD so that I could do counseling as well as um, the sports psychology classes, right. mental training classes. So a lot of my background is it's in sports psychology, but there's some counseling sprinkled in. There's a lot of biology classes, physiology yeah kinesiology classes and then after I graduated from Tennessee um, I took a job at a sports medicine center in Pittsburgh and then they happened to be the medical provider for the penguins and mm -hmm. um, I actually think it was Tom Fitzgerald that called me up this would mm -hmm. have been 14 years ago something like that okay and said will you come talk to our rookies at their development camp about mental toughness so I Went in, talked to them, and then Todd Richards was the head coach of Wilkes-Barre at the time. Yeah. He's now an assistant coach with Tampa Bay. Um, he asked if I'd come and work with Wilkes-Barre. So I kind of started working with hockey. Yeah. Um, do you remember who was in that first rookie class? I'm trying to, I'm trying oh, to think back. Oh, that's an excellent question. <laughs> the um, 14 years ago. It was probably people like Tyler Kennedy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Ben Lovejoy was at the development camp. Yeah. Um, but I know they were on the first teams. I don't know why. Just my, my curiosity to see who... I, ben Lovejoy, yeah. by the way, is one of my favorite people in the world yeah. to ever deal with. He's a great guy. <laughs> He's awesome. He's, yeah. So what was the break that were they like... Okay, so clearly it must have made an impact or else they're not keeping you around, right? Right. So, I, yeah. I guess I didn't screw anyone up too badly. <laughs> right, so, right. yeah, I, I came through. Tarion was the first coach and... Pittsburgh when yeah. I was there, and then Bilesma, and then Mike Johnson, and then Mike Sullivan. Yeah. How, um, so I, f I find hockey can be resistant to new ideas mm -hmm. in, in, in a general sense. How did you find that, you know, the, the hockey world in general as you were kind of trying to present I, new ideas? I think my timing was really good okay. because I think mental training was something that had started to become the norm. It was less about sports psychology, mental health, right. there's an issue, and more about what are the resources that we should be giving our players that are going to help them succeed. Yeah. And baseball had already had it pretty established. Mm -hmm. Hockey did not. And I, I think um, with Ray Shiro kind of approving it in Pittsburgh when I was there, and then Todd Richards jumping on board and saying this is something he felt the players could use, I didn't, I honestly didn't find a lot of resistance. I think okay. people were open because I think from their own backgrounds, a lot of people will always say, oh, I wish I had something like this when I was younger. Yeah. Maybe I would have done better. Maybe I would have lasted longer. Yeah. And they all also see as, as coaches, yeah, we have some players that we just can't get through to. Right. So maybe you can help with that. Right. So like sometimes it's just a different, children. well, and it's also like my role is unique because it's a different voice. A, I'm a female. I have nothing to do with their playing time. Right. So as long as they trust that I'm not going back and talking to their coaches or talking to sure. their management, which if I did that, I would not still be working in this field. Right. right. So like it's the, it's about the players and helping them get where they, they need to be. And so I think a lot of people, it's just having a neutral voice who understands what they're going through, mm -hmm. but doesn't necessarily control their future. Right. Did you find it, was there any, any commonalities in terms of when, like complaints or issues that players were dealing with in that time? Yeah. I mean, I think 
I don't know if it's complaints. Like a lot of times it's just adjustments and transitions. Mm -hmm. It's you're either trying to work your way up and sometimes you're on a team where, you know, the NHL team is full. (laughs) They're loaded. So your, your organization, it's harder for you to break through. Yeah. But on the flip side, what I always tell them, imagine the day you do break through knowing how hard that was, how much more confident you're going to be in yourself. Right. So a lot is getting them to believe in themselves. And then where they're there, it's not just, Oh, I made it to the NHL by default because half our team's injured or we're not very good. You made it there because you earned it. Yeah. Like it wasn't an easy path. And so I think that's a big part of it is when it's not easy. Yeah. It's actually a better path sometimes. I I think it is. And that's actually a debate you see among fan bases of young teams where it's like okay are you better off these guys do need NHL experience so are you better off giving the 19 year old a bunch of ice time and the power play at the NHL level to learn or creating a culture where they it doesn't matter you know you need to work your way up the ladder yeah and I think that's I imagine uh, where do you fall on that debate I can see both sides of it, yeah. to be honest. I don't think there's a right or wrong. And I think some of it really depends on the individual, yeah. physically, mentally, how ready they are, what your team needs. Um, I don't know. I think with players, it does require a lot of trust in the organization that they're not just stuck down in the minor leagues and they're not coming back. Like, right. we want you up here. We invested in you. We brought you in. We'll find room. Right. You just got to earn you it. You have to prove that <laughs> right. you can do it. There is that you have to earn it. And I think that makes players better because then they know they have to work. They have to be pushed. They can't They can't just say, oh, I'm good enough. Yeah. They, ha- they know it has to be earned. So I think it makes everybody in the organization better when there is that competition. Yeah. So when did you kind of immerse yourself in the hockey world full time or at, at, at as much as you are now? Um, I don't know. It just kind of just, kind of, happened. <laughs> it just right. kind of happened where it just became busier and busier. And then yeah. that's what I did. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, I work for the Penguins now. Yeah. 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 Did you, do you look at yourself as, you know, paving a path for other women and, and kind of this world? Um, I don't know if it's paving the path, but... I think it's normalizing it in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Like I can remember a day where we had a meeting and there's a hundred guys, including players in the room. And then I'm standing in the meeting in literally bright yellow pants. And it's the only female in the room. Right. Um, but I, now, especially with the devils, we have a lot of females around and it's amazing. Yeah. And so I do think, and I look at other teams too, and there's more and more females coming through. And I think it's just a different voice. It's a different perspective on mm-hmm. things. Um, I enjoy it. I, I try to do a good job. I try yeah. to work hard. I, and when females see that, I think it's great. Yeah. Have you noticed the room looking different now? It's, it's not always you by yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm very appreciative of that. <laughs> right. I do, the devils are good in that regard, yeah. for sure. And and, it, and it's been interesting to watch, like Seattle, for instance. Is it seems to be a very intentional thing where we just can't have a, a front office with a bunch of white dudes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, it, that's a disservice to building a franchise. Yeah, and I, I do think it's, you know, it's a good when you look around and it is there's variety there. Mm-hmm. There's diversity there. There's different experiences coming in too. So not everybody is. I'd never played a day of hockey in my life. Right. But Sometimes, in some ways, I think that makes me a little stronger because I've been listening to other people's experiences for 14, 15 years yeah. now. So when I either give advice or 
I'm, I'm there, it's not my experience. It's a conglomeration of what everybody else has told me they've gone through. Right. So, um, and with the females, it is like, hey, I'm here if you ever need anything. But we have a really supportive staff and everybody around. So from players, coaches, management, it's been great. Yeah. So what's next in kind of this, this space in the mental toughness sports psychology world like where do you see the next great development um i don't know there's a lot of apps coming out okay (laughs) like a ton so it's more it's easier to access Mm -hmm. so a lot of times when you're trying to get appointments with people to work on your own mindset sometimes it can be harder there's a little bit of wait time it's more expensive Mm -hmm. um so now there's apps a lot of people are developing apps um so it Part of me likes it because then right. you can create the habits, you can create daily routines around developing mental toughness. But I still think there's that talk it out component that's mm-hmm. essential and individualizing it to people. So there's a ton of sports psychology books and a lot of them tell you, oh, this is how you should think. Right. But that might not work for you or it's not realistic for you. <laughs> right. So right. I think I do think that having human beings that you can talk to and work through, I think is really important. Yeah. I, I like the app thing makes me nervous because it's like, what is it a good idea to develop one more habit on your phone? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're already addicted to it. Now yeah. do, am I going to put my journal? I on think my it's phone? a lot of times it's an accountability for, right. you know, did you meditate today? Yes, yeah. I did this or here's some mental challenges for you where here's just right. a lesson. So instead of going and listening to a podcast, you can go on an app and, they might have a 10 minute mental toughness lesson of right. some sort. Do you find, uh, what's the value with meditation with athletes? With I think it's great. Okay. I, I think, because I think if you can find a way to clear your mind, mm-hmm. it not, not judging yourself, even if it's for five minutes a day to just clear and reset, mm-hmm. I think it makes huge difference. Because then you know, if I'm in a game and there's chaos and I'm really mad about something, I can quickly find a way to reset everything. Right. And hockey's a great sport because you have shifts, you have times where you can reset and refocus. Yeah. And so being able to meditate sort of outside of the sport mm-hmm. allows you to be able to clear your mind when you're in the throes of it and the adrenaline's pumping. How how much in general how like how many players have adopted meditation as a kind of a skill um, of mental development? I honestly don't know. Okay. I don't know the answer yeah. to that. I know some guys do it pretty regularly some guys do it periodically yeah um okay i'm just curious yeah Yeah. i don't know that i could put a percent on it all right and then the last thing this is i tend to ask this question a lot the um what's the best book you've read in the last year culture code culture code yeah all right why what i just i really because it talks a lot about what we were discussing earlier how important the environment is yeah and so if you don't bring in the right people as talented as they are, it's not going to work. Right. So the culture of whether it's a business organization, a sports organization, a team is really, really important. So Culture Code, I thought, was a really good book. You do a lot of business consulting, or you have, right? Yeah, not a ton, but a decent amount. Um, so along those lines, like, what's is there a in building culture? Is there like a number one thing you look for in a higher? No, I'm asking very selfish questions because I have to yeah. hear people. But <laughs> what do you look like? What is, if you're building culture, what is the... Um, someone that doesn't have an ego. Like, yeah. it's not all about him or her. Right. Because I think that matters. They have to have confidence of knowing, like, yeah, I'm really good at what I do and you should hire me. But you should hire me because I can help you. Right. Not because 
I want to run the company someday. Yeah. But because I can bring value. So people that are confident in what they can bring. Yeah. That recognize that they can't do it all. Right, right. So for me, I think that's a, a big thing. And the people that are doing it for the right reasons, too. Right. As, are there red flags? Like if someone says something, you're like, Ugh. you know. Um, like, body language is often a red flag really? for me. Yeah, you yeah. can tell if somebody's almost too comfortable with themselves. <laughs> they don't accept feedback. Yeah. They can't handle any kind of criticism. Or a lot of the questions are about, how am I going to grow? How am I going to develop? How will I right. get better? As opposed to... Right. We're hiring you to work for us, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, Amy, thanks so much for doing this. Sure. This was awesome. No, this was fun. All right. Thanks. Good luck. Thank you. I want to thank Amy for joining the podcast. That was awesome. It's really cool to have access to people who are that smart and that good at what they do and who I can really, who I can learn from and apply immediately to my own job. Um, I, like that's just kind of, it's like double dipping. Yes, we're learning about the inner workings of the New Jersey Devils and how teams operate. And also I love being able to learn that something that hopefully I can apply. So that was, I, I want to thank Amy for joining the podcast. I want to thank the Devils for making her available. Sometimes when teams have really smart people on their staff, they don't necessarily make them available for interviews. So thanks to the Devils for that. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. A couple quick things before we wrap up. One, we have released another podcast from the archives for subscribers to The Athletic. It is the, this is one of my favorites. This is the Oren Coolis interview. Uh, Oren, who is, was, of course, the former owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, he was very candid about that time. But really, again, like one of the great things about this job is you get access to people you never would otherwise. And hearing his story about the launching the Saw franchise, how that came together, uh, it, it was awesome. So not necessarily a hockey podcast at times, but a fascinating podcast and interview all the same so if you're a subscriber to the athletic that one was just added back onto the app for the archives check that out um and also we are i looked we are five i want to say five ratings away on apple Podcasts from 500 which is crazy to me and it's a really cool round number so i don't need all of you guys to leave a review but if you haven't and you like what you're listening to and you want to help me out and you want me to hit a milestone um which I'm sure you really do. I'm sure you really care deeply about that. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Let's get that over 500. It would be really cool. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to Amy for joining the podcast and have a great week.